Weather. Weekend. Variety. Wireless. Next week, fingers crossed, I'm going to do a little thing on Beethoven's Seventh Symphony. Don't run away just because it's classical music or because Beethoven was a difficult person to live with. I'll expand on that. I've read many biographies of Beethoven because I'm a bit of a fan. He had a housekeeper that his patrons would pay for. They change every four to six months. They usually stay there for quite a while <laughs> with the other composers. Um, but no, they uh, up sticks and says, I can't do this anymore. No one really knows why. Oh, well. <laughs> Where's everybody going? The symphony has just started. So? We already heard that dum-dum-dum-dum. The rest is just filler. <laughs> it's raining. Bullshit. Skeptical thoughts of Susie Wilds. Hello. Hello, Graham. All right. Lovely to see you again. We haven't touched on 9-11 conspiracies. They still have their adherents. And Building 7 is often mentioned as, aha, aha, aha. Look at that. And we had this cat uh, called Brian Dunning. Should yeah. we just hear him first yeah. and then you can describe uh, his reasonings or the reasonings behind why, nah. Some say the collapse of Building 7 looked exactly like a controlled demolition. Actually, no, it didn't look anything like one. I'm Brian Dunning and you're watching In Fact. Welcome to the show that brings you the real facts behind popular myths. Ever since 9-11, conspiracy theorists have claimed that Building 7, which collapsed hours after the Twin Towers, was a controlled demolition. And their only evidence is that it looks like it. When the Twin Towers collapsed, debris damaged Building 7 and set it on fire. This is how it fell a few hours later, dropping straight down as its lower floors collapsed under it. It really is an amazing box that just comes mm. down. Yeah, it's it's quite astonishing, and so that's that the whole the way it collapsed. Everyone's like, it's a controlled demolition. Just shows the whole thing was a I guess an inside job and mm. wasn't terrorist at all. Um, and, and so what this guy has done, uh, he's like, so I've been watching some controlled demolitions, and actually <laughs> this doesn't look at like them at all because there's uh, so they explain he explains. Um, basically how they do it uh, and there's a couple of different ways because obviously when you are doing a controlled demolition you do want the building to kind of land in its footprint right to not damage anything else around and that's sort of why they say building seven was like this but it, you can see when you uh when you look at all the videos of other demolitions you can see all the explosives going off right all of the stuff they're doing to basically make it uh make it kind of implode on itself and of course there's none of that in the in the other video, it's actually, it actually looks quite different to It's exactly the opposite of the claims, isn't it? The yeah. claim is, this looks very much. <laughs> it needs some spooky music, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It, it, I'll, I'll, I'll find some. Um, <laughs> it, it looks very much like, looks very much like a controlled demolition. Where's my spooky music? Who cares? Um, and, and it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. You have a look at control. <laughs> <laughs> this is classic Dunning-Kruger, isn't it? That these people saying it looks a lot exactly like yeah. a controlled demolition. They haven't they seen controlled <laughs> demolitions. They think they know about yeah. controlled demolitions a lot, which means their yeah. confidence uh, 
sees them go so wrong. It's a quite a good video if you like watching controlled demolitions because she shows a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And uh, and there is something amazing about a, a building collapsing. Oh, yes. I, I and ships going one. down. Yeah, I, I went to see a building that was being destroyed in London once and it was just uh, like there were, there were thousands of us <laughs> turned up to see it. Oh, nice done. Did it look like a controlled demolition? <laughs> Do you know, it did, because it was one. Wow. <laughs> and it had bombs, those bombing things going off. It had the explosions off. going off, yeah, because they go inside first, and they basically figure out where they need to put the explosives so that the building will fall in the way they want it to fall. And then you see them, all these little poofs as, mm. the, as, they, go, as they go off in their places, and you, there's nothing like that. The trouble with the conspiracy theorists is they do this thing, you go, but hang on, that couldn't work because of that. And they go, ah, but uh, what about but, that? Yeah. Yeah. They do this whataboutism. They go, I've got, okay, uh, I know I'll, how to I'll get, get another one. I'll get another one. I've got another. <laughs> explain this. Explain that. Explain this. Explain that. And uh. you, you can explain a lot of them. And then they find one at the end and you go, I don't know. And oh, they go, got well, you. <laughs> got you. Got <laughs> um, you. Okay. Psychic pets. Yeah, do you have a clip of this one? I do. Here's um, just a little introduction with my former football coach's daughter. Beverly Dowling has a special bond with Sonny Will the Suffolk. Total celebrity. She was the one who first spotted his uncanny abilities. He used to knock on my office door, tap, 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 and you could guarantee it's going to rain. So I figured he had a bit of a talent. Sonny Will correctly predicted all the All Blacks game results in 2011. All right, so that's the psychic pet. Yeah, so um, I spoke about this while you were away. Um, that that there's a there's a so actually in this case this was kind of a cool video because the this, they got the psychic pet before Jacinda had her baby to go. What's the gender of the baby? And then then they were like, and they do it by offering food to the sheep, and the sheep um, went to the one with the blue um, piece of clothing, and everyone was like, "Well, it's obviously going to be a boy." Only boys wear blue clothing. Anyway, um, obviously she. It didn't actually have used a to be boy. the other way around. Uh, Not long ago, in the nineteen twenties. Pink was a, a boy's yeah. colour. Anyway, that's beside the point. Okay, so uh, the reason I just wanted to raise this is because a few weeks ago, when I was on and you were away, um, I talked about how there's this stand-up mathematician in the UK. And he's really annoyed that every time there is, like, a big sporting event, like World Cups and stuff, um, people pull out the psychic pets and who make all the predictions. Like, last World Cup, it was about a psychic octopus, you know, all this kind of cool stuff. Anyway, so he uh, has basically set up this website called psychicpets.com, um, and he's asking people to uh, basically register their pets to get their pets to make some predictions, and they're going to find the psychic pets. Because, of course, and, and, you know, they want thousands and thousands and thousands of people because then they will obviously find the ones that by chance get it right um and so uh, now that the world cup is well underway um because when i spoke about it, it was just before it started and so there wasn't there was there was quite a lot of pets up but there weren't like any predictions um so what they have to do when somebody registers their pet is they have to film the predictions they have to film the pet doing something uh -huh. to figure out the thing um so go on the website now and look at it because there are some hilarious like chickens being coaxed to to take food it's quite funny um uh. and you can see how the pets are doing there's some that are doing all right and then there's some that are doing not so all right at all but but matt's gonna find the 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 the, the psychic pets for us and then and then i guess he'll use that to talk about probabilities and all those statistics and all that stuff that um, what's the best search psychic pets 
Uh, well, so it's basically, what's it called? It is called, um, so I think it's psychic-pets.com. Okay, that'll get you there. Yeah. Um, or just Matt Parker, Psychic Pets, you I, should find it. I could take part. Yeah, well, uh, he's, and, and I'm sure it's still, I mean, there are games still left to play. So, yeah. so whatever animal you have, there are hedgehogs, there are all sorts. See, just upload. You've got to offer them food, well, get them to do something that will make the prediction. Well, that's the thing. Most um, of them are I don't, food. I wouldn't call it a pet. I'm a custodian of um, some uh, native New Zealand geckos. Oh. And this is what they, I know this is radio, folks, but. Um, the audio is um, equal to the action. <laughs> this is what they do. <laughs> Nothing. No, no, there was a little bit of a tongue, tongue, tongue. Lick. That's if you're really, really yeah. lucky. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can maybe point them in a certain direction. All anyway, right. go check it out. It's quite cool. The 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 chickens are pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to explore that radio classic called Dead Air. <laughs> now, an amazing cure for cancer. Um, yeah. So, have you managed to put this video up online? No, we're going to do okay. it with when we put your piece up Super. online. Okay, I'll throw it up on Facebook when I get home. Yeah. So, there's this, there's just this really cool video um, that I saw, um, I, and I can talk you through it a little bit. So, uh, it's it starts with kind of there's this amazing. So, oh, there, so the reason we're not going to play you the audio is because there is no audio. So it's just a little video with like subtitles. Yeah, exactly. There's it's got subtitles and or not. I mean, it's got basically um, words on the screen and the sort of plinky plonky music. Um, and so it kind of starts with there's this amazing cure for cancer that's been known since the 1800s, uh, and um, it was oh, it's what of course it's one that the um, uh, pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know about. And then and it was discovered in 1816 by this dude. And then they show some pictures of these of these kind of old dudes. Uh, and it's about a moss, and it's basically a moss that fascinated this dude. And so he started eating it, and then he never got sick. And so therefore, it's this cure for cancer, and it's and it does stuff to do with DNA, and it, and it sort of goes on and on. It's kind of funny. It's got pictures of DNA, and then it's got um, it's got a lady uh, uh, kind of um, spinning around, looking healthy, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then it just sort of and then it just sort of slightly takes a turn to a. Um, so, uh, if you thought all this was true, actually it's not. And this guide's name is just an anagram of my name. And these two, these pictures, these old dudes that we show you, they're not even the same dude. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then it just sort of goes on and on. And it's like, how did you feel about it? So, you know, oh, we had we had the right music and we had this plinkety-plonkety thing and we had this woman spinning around. And and uh, did you even realise that the DNA was the wrong way around? <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, it just sort of goes on and on. Um, and so the kind of cool thing is that it's, um, it's a video by the McGill Office for Science and Technology. So McGill is one of the universities in Canada. Um, and they uh, and it's just about the kind of... Be really careful when you see these kinds of videos. They are, they're just so easy to share on social media. You know, you'll see it. It's got loads of likes. It's just, it fits all of the right kind of thing for these sort mm. of videos that go. And so what they're basically asking is for people to be more um, mindful of what they're sharing. Uh, and, uh, it, but it just, and, and trying to ask people to be more skeptical. But it's just really funny because it starts off really well. And, and then it just kind of gets better and better as he kind of, you know, uh, just sort of, yeah, unpacks some of the kind of like... Um, you know, 
there's this, there's, and it's like one of the bits is there's like water with some blue liquid. This is science right? <laughs> and it's, it's really <laughs> oh, nice. funny. Um, yeah, so it kind of just uses all the hooks that wellness videos uh, kind of do, and I thought it was really funny. So Great. You should, should take a look at it. Yep, and when this piece goes up online as a special feature, it'll be in the article, so you can Excellent. click on it, and yep. you'll be listening to this now. So there, it'll be just below, have a look, <laughs> below in the clicky thing, and it'll be there. All right, now a cure for a hangover. Um, there are some wonderful dishes in New Orleans you can get. <laughs> um, there's the occasional McDonald's cheeseburger has helped, but whatever. Uh, these people are making some great claim for this um, doing such a thing. They're yeah. calling it something like a sunscreen for alcohol. Sunscreen, yeah, sunscreen for alcohol. Do you have the um, audio for yeah. this one? Yeah, Let's I do. Here we go. Hangover cure. Hi, I'm Russ Capper, and this is the Business Maker Show. My guest today, Brooks Powell, founder and CEO of Thrive Plus. Brooks, welcome to the Business Maker Show. Well, thanks for having me, Russ. You bet. Tell us about Thrive Plus. Thrive Plus is a product that's somewhere between a vitamin for people who drink and a hangover cure. Um, probably the best metaphor that we have for it is sort of like sunscreen for alcohol. So. If you think about sunscreen, right, you can put it on anytime you're going to go spend time in the sun, okay. even if you're not that worried about right. a sunburn, or you can just use it um, when you think you might have a sunburn, right? So that's where kind of our product comes in. It's like for alcohol, you can take it just to be healthy, or you can take it sort of as preventing a sunburn, which would be like a hangover. Okay. All right. Yeah, so I have to thank the McGill Office for Science and Technology because I found their website through that video and they've got a kind of a bunch of really interesting stories and this was one. So um, this guy who's come up with this product that he's calling a sunscreen for alcohol, although on his website, oh, and he, and, and he calls it, he calls it a hangover cure as well. Although on their website they say it's not a hangover cure. Um, it's, uh, so it's a way to reduce alcohol's negative effects when exposed to alcohol and as a result has many positive effects on increasing human health, happiness and next day productivity. I think they probably need somebody to do some reading of the stuff on their website. But anyway, so what is it? So it's a pair of products. Uh, there's the after alcohol aid pill, which you take two to four of, um, which they say reduce the symptoms of short-term alcohol withdrawal and provide your liver with some assistance in metabolizing the alcohol you've just been drinking. Um, and then you complement that with an oral rehydration solution. Uh, water. <laughs> quite possibly. Maybe water with something else in it, but basically water. Um, so the... Sorry, the central ingredient uh, is something called DHM, uh, dihydromyrocetin, um, which apparently has a long history of being considered a cure uh, for all sorts of things in Chinese medicine. Um, it comes from, oh gosh, on the tree now, Japanese raisin bush or something. Um, so they've used it as a treatment for alcohol poisoning, fevers, parasitic infections, spasms. Um, it's also a lactive, laxative and makes you pee a lot interestingly oh. anyway so how on earth did this dude come up with this thing it's kind of an interesting story so he um was studying religion at princeton and apparently stumbled upon a scientific paper about this uh, um, dhm while having a bad hangover i guess maybe he had a hangover and searched hangover cure um, and he found this paper that was published in the Journal of Neuroscience in 2012 in which the researchers injected rats with ethanol uh, or with ethanol in this DHM and they looked at their behaviour. And 
basically they claimed um, that the rats that had the injections um, basically didn't seem to have the same kind of symptoms as those. Sorry, one they had different symptoms between the two groups. And so that was enough for him to basically rope in uh, some of his professors, none of whom have any exper- expertise in this area, but anyway. Um, and then Professors of English literature? Or no, 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 one of them is a neuroscience professor, but okay. he doesn't study alcohol or, or anything to do with uh, drugs, but anyway. Um, and so they started this company, and they've done a trial, apparently, according to the patent application. They've carried out a trial on people. Okay. Um, it hasn't been published in the peer-reviewed literature yet. Apparently, the way they did the trial was they asked 19 men and 8 women to get drunk and report their feelings the next day. And then they asked them to come back, get drunk again, but this time to take this Thrive Plus and then to report how they felt afterwards. Um, so the fact that they knew what they were taking, there was no placebo group. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that's really a trial. It's not really how you find out if something, <laughs> something is <works>. true. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? You read a scientific paper and then you're like, yeah, that's going to work. I'm going to I'm gonna make a company. And apparently they've, they've done all sorts. Well, they're doing a huge amount of marketing mm. and um, people are starting to buy into the stuff. I don't think it's available here, but uh, it's only a matter of time. Or someone else will come up with it, I'm sure, once I'm they know what the, now the ingredient is this thing. Um, but it's interesting because, yeah, will it, does it have any effect? Who I'm, knows? If you're drinking and peeing a lot, then they may yeah. well make you feel better but the way um, to find out now i don't want to leave anyone behind we just said you know there was no control um yes. there's no placebo you know um what how would you yes. find out if yes. it really worked what would they have to do yeah well so you would do the best thing would be to do what's called a double uh, blinded placebo controlled trial where you would take groups of people um and they don't know whether they're getting the thing that has the active ingredient or not um, and then uh, you and they don't know, but neither do you as the experimenter know what they've given. So nobody can give anybody any kind of like nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of t- stuff going on. Um, and then people try it and then they report back how they feel. Uh, and the reason this is really important is because we have the tendency to um, kind of make stuff happen. Um, and actually alcohol is, is a, a drunkenness is a really good one. So I've read there's been quite a few studies where... Um, so people can think they're drinking wine and start and, and alcohol and start behaving like getting really drunk, but they're actually not drinking alcohol. There's, there's all sorts of stuff our brains can play on us. So um, you can do this thing where, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, no, I feel totally, I feel absolutely fine when actually maybe you don't. But the placebo effect is basically making, fooling you into thinking you do feel better. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, so that's how we find out things work. And, uh, and that's not what they've done. But that doesn't stop anybody, does it? No, no, it doesn't. Uh, um, but, but it's, uh, it's the jury's the whole out idea. on this. Well, well, the I mean, there's the experiments rubbish. Yeah, basically, that's not a good sign. But it's just the audacity of kind of like I read this paper on rats, uh, and actually it wasn't even that good a paper on rats. There was all sorts of problems with the study too. But hey, uh, and now I've started a company, and uh, and I'm going to call it Sunscreen. I mean, it's just it's also kind of it's a bit scary. Actually, that you, th- you know, what are people going to drink more thinking that this is protecting them? You know, is this actually going, could this put people in danger mm. because they think that, you know, if I take these pills, then I actually, I can drink twice as much as I would because my liver's going right, to be fine. Right, um, And who knows? Uh, but yeah, but, but no, that's not stopping them. Okay. Um, there you go.
Susie, <sighs> thank you very much. Yeah, it is surprising. These people belong to apparently to a university. The, the, they can ask someone pretty... down the corridor. How, yeah. how do you do an experiment? And also, and the and the, but also the place they're at. I mean, Princeton is a pretty, you know, it's a high, uh, it's it's a it's a good university. And so they're also, I think, playing a bit on their name. They're like academics at Princeton. It's not university. Princeton, Alabama. Is that <laughs> it's whatever the the big one is. Okay. No, it's Princeton. Einstein's um, place. Yeah, uh, but you know, it's, so they sort of. I think they're also scamming people a little bit in that respect, kind of inflating uh, their yeah. um, their credentials. Those prestige names. Yeah. They do get a lot of traction. They do. All right, um, Susie Wiles from Auckland University. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> oh, I think I probably have to say I'm I'm acting in my own capacity today actually because we have a we apparently now have a new rule on comms and thingies and I'm not sure I'm allowed to be representing the university. I oh. think I'm representing myself. Okay. I do work at the University of Auckland, okay. but Susie Wells <laughs> hangs out sometimes <laughs> to Auckland University. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. You. The weekend variety wireless. Last week we extolled the amazing. Um, powers and what must be great pride of a very, very, very small nation uh, in the World Cup of football. We're talking World Cup with uh, Ewan McCabe and the team we were talking about, the nation that must be feeling great, is Uruguay with a population smaller than New Zealand's. They've won the World Cup twice. They're the most overachieving nation on earth with a team that has 20 international football titles and has won the Copa America, that's all of South America, more than anybody else. And this happened this morning. It's Uruguay's night because it was Edinson Cavani's night. And maybe it is the end in terms of World Cups for the great Cristiano Ronaldo. But this small nation with football in the blood that so consistently punch above their weight are at it again. Yeah, I was waiting for someone to mention that, and he did, and it's Martin Tyler, and he's a great commentator. Ewan McCabe, author of World Cup Baby, how are you? Very well, thank you, Graham. Good evening. Well, um, you, you can say with some confidence that you're well. I read on your blog that you um, actually see a doctor at this stage to make sure you're coping okay with the schedule. <laughs> yes, it's, um, we're in the knockout stages now, which is a little bit easier because you're down to two games a day, but... In the middle of the tournament there when the group stage matches are all played together you ramp up to four games a day uh, so i always get a check up with the doctor but um, as i said she's given me a certificate through to july the 16th the day of the final that's not a certificate to be off work i've already got uh, leave but it's just a certificate to uh, ensure my uh, health safety and well-being through until the day of the final all right. We spent last week talking about how Uruguay achieves so much with so little. Um, they are through again. We'll we'll talk about some some stories surrounding the World Cup. But just for people who are into this particular tournament, um, how did you think Uruguay looked? And um, the big encounters to come up, the special ones that you are uh, find more mouthwatering than others. Okay, well, as far as Uruguay is concerned, as a, somebody who uh, loves the World Cup as much as I do, I think Uruguay have got a very special place in the history of the World Cup. So they're always a team that I want to do well. Mm. And um, it's interesting because they made it uh, in 2010 all the way to the uh, semi-finals. 
but they didn't have such a good tournament in Brazil four years later. Wonderful to see them uh, looking uh, much more of a threat this time. Uh, navigated the group stages quite comfortably and, of course, accounted for Portugal last night. Um, they just uh, they just look like a settled team, don't they? They've got uh, a spine running through them. They've got a very experienced goalkeeper, a magnificent defence. They've got a, a great leader in Godin. Uh, they've got a useful midfield, and of course they've got the dual strike force up front. Um, they just seem in the right place, don't they? They've also got a coach who's been in charge of the side for over a decade now, 12 years. And there's just a, there's something about Uruguayan football, isn't there? There's tradition. They play uh, the same style, uh, so they learn it as children. They grow up through the system, and they don't perform at every World Cup, but I've just got a feeling this could be, I mean, obviously they've got a huge challenge uh, in the quarterfinals in terms of France, um, but it's just great to see them looking good at this stage. Yeah. Um, did Who did Indini, uh, Indidi play for? Indidi. Oh, it was in Senegal, I think. I just wanted him to score so the commentator could say, yes, Indidi! But we'll move on. <laughs> Yeah, I get it now. Okay, there's, always, there's always some great names at the World Cup. Yafati was one that uh, took my attraction. Yeah. Um, but there are always some great names that pop up. I try to demystify the really flash players. Um, it's fun to do with it with the Italians, but they shamefully went out against Sweden and didn't make it here. So, anyway, we've left with um, well, Diego Costa. He's one of the big stars. It's James Shaw. Doesn't he sound much worse a footballer when you call him James Shaw? And uh, we've seen the back of uh, Chris Reynolds uh, overnight as well from Portugal, otherwise known as Cristiano Ronaldo. So there you go. <laughs> I, must, I actually work at Parliament, and I know um, the Honourable James Shaw is now the Minister for Climate Change. I know him quite well, so when I get back to work, I'll mention that to him. Diego he, Costa. He, call him Diego Costa yeah. all day. He doesn't quite have that uh, dark, dusky kind of <laughs> Mexican. He looks Diego Costa looks like something out of an extra from an American western, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, something happened when England played Belgium because it was one of those things where it really would be handy if both of them lost. But that's hard to organise in football. But I wouldn't put it past the World Cup. Um, and it reminded me of something that you wrote in your book, World Cup Baby. You could, you went to see a game and you found that nobody was playing. Um, I hope you don't mind. I just want to read a little bit of it. Go ahead. I looked hard, but all I could see were 22 indecisive people muddling around amongst themselves. At one point, I became convinced there was not even a football out there, that it had disappeared out of play at some point and nobody had thought to replace it or even noticed its absence. There were moments of England-Belgium, I looked at it and I thought, that's the bit in your book. I couldn't find where the ball was because no one really wanted to go for it. Yes, and this is an oddity about the World Cup. Um, when they finished the group stages, as we did um, uh, late last week, um, it, it's an odd situation. You're trying, there are four teams per group and you're trying to finish in the top two places. Uh, and then there's the consideration, if you finish first or if you finish second, who you're going to end up in the next round. And it was an issue for Belgium and England. They both probably, they had a dual problem. One was they could either end up with Japan or Colombia in the next round, and 
the common perception is you'd rather have Japan, they're the weaker opponent. But then if you do get uh, Japan, you end up on the tougher side of the draw. So there was a, a lot of indecision going. And, and as I said in my blog last week, it was almost like uh, a very unreal situation. You've got two teams who were arguing essentially as to whether they wanted to win this game or to lose it. They didn't know whether they wanted to win it or lose it. Both teams were involved in that. And you get some very odd things going on in those group stages. We had uh, Japan uh, protecting a 1-0 defeat uh, because (laughs) as things sat, they would have um, finished second in the group and progressed through to the next round. So they just um, were quite content with their 1-0 loss and they kind of just passed the ball around amongst themselves in their match against Poland. And Poland were happy to get a win. Uh, they couldn't qualify, but they were just happy to get a win. So they were quite happy to just allow uh, Japan to play with themselves, basically. So it's a little bit strange. Um, the whole idea of sport, of course, is that it's a competitive contest, but it's one of the uh, unique things, shall we say, about the World Cup, that it doesn't always... Um, pan out that way. Yeah, well, so I think an important point that you make quite clearly in your book is that the World Cup, it's it, you don't like it because it's a perfectly organised, fantastic tournament and nothing goes wrong. It is the scandals and the stories behind things, the weirdness of it all, the passions and the internationalism of it. You have cultures that don't, that can't figure each other out playing the same game. Yeah, exactly, and that is really what I think what I love most about the whole thing is that it reflects life. Um, You know, these sport these days, it seems to have to be about entertainment and um, good behaviour and all these things. You know, that's fine, you know, if that's what you're kind of trying to achieve. And FIFA, of course, in the background are trying to promote this as well. But what I like about the World Cup is that you see... You get at warts and all, isn't it? It's all the human behaviour that we have to deal with every day. It it comes out during the tournament. So it's reflective of life. I always say it's authentic. Nobody's fiddling around with it, trying to make it look like something that it isn't. Um, The Olympics, I think, uh, that's kind of the ideals of the Olympics, and perhaps they should try and keep promoting that, but I wouldn't like to see that happen in the World Cup. It reflects life, it reflects the beauty and the ugliness of this planet that we all share. And what is so great about it is the extraordinary clashes in culture. Uh, You know, (laughs) games between uh, Uruguay and Egypt, you know, in terms of culture, religion, beliefs, behaviour, language, just about everything. You couldn't get a more distant thing. Well, we had a game there between... Nigeria and Iceland. I mean, can you find two more diverse nations on this planet? And football is, to me, uh, along with things like music, it's a language of the world. Uh, You don't have to actually speak the same language because we all understand football and we all understand, um, you know, what it means to the world. And And it speaks beyond kind of... Um, normal human behaviours or traits, if you like. That, uh, that's what I 
that's just the thing that I really love about it the most. Yeah, and in your blog, it's really interesting just listing quite quickly in a short paragraph uh, just some of the scandals. Uh, boycott in 1930, fascist salutes from champions in 1938, the suicide of Austrian Matthias Sindelar in inverted commas, the Battle of Bern, which we'll talk about, and the Battle of Santiago. Just have a listen to this commentator. He's not acting. This is not an actor. You'd be forgiven for thinking it is. From 1962, Italy v. Chile. The game you're about to see is the most stupid, appalling, disgusting and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. Chile versus Italy. This is the first time the two countries have met. We hope it will be the last. The national motto of Chile reads, by reason or by force. Today, the Chileans were prepared to be reasonable. The Italians only use force. And the result was a disaster for the World Cup. Now, if the World Cup is going to survive in its present form, something's got to be done about teams that play like this. Indeed, after seeing the film tonight, you at home may well think that teams that play in this manner ought to be expelled immediately from the competition. Just see what you think. And there's trouble already. There's a point going on in the middle there. Well, this looks like turning into a real battle. There's two Chileans down on the field. And what a scene after just five minutes play. And Perini took a kick at a player there. Well, this is absolutely ridiculous. You can see that on YouTube, folks, and it is quite a sight. It is a combination of kung fu, Greco-Roman wrestling, boxing, and a street brawl. Why did they? Why did it turn out like that? Do you know? Oh, it was just um, the usual South American versus uh, European um, clash of cultures. Mm. Um, there, there were obviously Chile being the host nation, there was an awful lot riding on them for them. And as we all know, the Italians never take any prisoners. Um, I'd just like to point out, Graham, that um, people listening that don't know or don't follow the World Cup probably thinking, well, you know, this kind of thing's just disgusting, so why, you know, does this particular person choose to celebrate that? I'd just like to point out that for all the kind of brutality, nastiness and things that you see, there's also a lot of great beauty uh, and some wonderful moments in terms of binding people together and kind of reminding us that just what a great planet we live on and how wonderful human emotion is when it's channeled in the right way. And so I might have kind of come across that I celebrate the ugly side of it, but I also, the reason I love it so much is uh, it mirrors exactly the opposite, the, the beauty uh, of the planet we live on, the people that share it. And this football tournament is one way that we all come together and we kind of get an example of what's and what's and all of what life's about. Yeah, well said. But you also, you and I, we don't mind it being messy either. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not talking Argentina. <laughs> okay, yeah, it, it can be a really, really messy thing. And my goodness, some of the stories uh, behind the World Cup. Look, we'll take a short break and... Um, no, we'll take a short break just after. I just want to explain something. I saw this on uh, news tonight. I can't remember which channel. But anyway, uh, here's the one of the most famous footballers, the Portugal player Ronaldo, Chris Reynolds, Cristiano Ronaldo. And he helped the Uruguayan player, Cavani, who was injured. 
off, walked him off the field. And people were saying, what a lovely gesture. My ass. He was trying to get the bloke off as quickly as possible. As soon as he crossed the line, he basically gave him a little shove and said, see you later. Because they wanted the opportunity to get another goal. I think I've got that right. They were saying it was a beautiful gesture. It was him trying to get him off quickly, right? Oh, yeah, you could read it into that, possibly. But, look, the thing about Ronaldo is he's... I think he's um, improved as a human being in the last five or ten years. Okay. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me if there was a little bit of the kind of humanity coming through in there, but I don't know, maybe not. Okay. We'll take a break. Come back very shortly. This is the Weekend Variety Ones on Radio Live. You're going to have a look at um, the history of the World Cup and you can see that Germany won in 1954 and go, oh, that's interesting. Man, the story behind that. Ewan McCabe is with us, author of The World Cup Baby, uh, and you can follow him on Twitter, at The World Cup Baby. That's right, isn't it? Ewan, are you there? Blogs there, Graham. Sorry? If, if you mentioned my blogs. If you want to read those, they're on sportsfreak.co.nz. I've got a writing style which is a little bit different from the normal stuff. It's, it's, I like to think it's a bit more entertaining. Um, so if you want a, a kind of uh, a more interesting angle on the World Cup, then shoot across to sports dot, uh, sportsfreak.co.nz and have a look at my blogs. Okay. The miracle at Bern. It really meant something. It's internationally, politically, an event of the 20th century when you, when you dissect it and find what's inside, eh? It is. So this was the final of the 1954 World Cup, which was played in Switzerland. The final was between Hungary and West Germany, as it was then, because, of course, Germany was uh, separated uh, a decade earlier at the end of the Second World War. What was so important about this match is, uh, in terms of the psyche of the German people, it was a huge turning point for them after the war. Uh, Probably not the best week to be talking about good things happening to Germany, uh, given their early exit from this year's World Cup. But what happened in uh, in Switzerland in 1954 is this Hungarian side that breached the final to play against West Germany were quite possibly the greatest football team in history. It would be uh, in amongst a handful if, at the stretch, wouldn't it? Yes, I think you, the Brazilian team of 1970 with Pelé, Rivellino and, and co probably are regarded by most as being the best team in the world. These things are very difficult to yeah. quantify, of course. But this Hungarian team was fantastic. They were unbeat going into this tournament. They'd been unbeaten for five years. They'd become the first non-British team to beat England at Wembley. Not only did they beat them, they thrashed them 6-3. And then in the return match in Budapest, thrashed England 7-1. This was an incredible team. They were expected to just walk away with this World Cup. And it was a surprise to a lot of people that West Germany even reached the final because, of course, you can imagine Germany in the decade after the war was a hell of a mess. Um, And this tournament was very important for the German psyche in that it was the first time that the German national anthem was allowed to be played in public since the war. So from that point of view, it was already something special for the Germans. But when their unfancied team made it all the way to the final... 
uh, that that really um, ramped things up from the German perspective. And what was interesting is they were these two teams, Hungary and West Germany, were in the same group earlier in the tournament, and they'd played each other, and Hungary had won 8-3. Uh, so Hungary were overwhelming favourites in the final and they were even more of a favourite when they went 2-0 in front after 10 minutes. But what happened is now history. The Germans came back, they won the match 3-2 and that win is credited with kind of kick-starting Germany as a nation after the Second World War. And as we know, they've obviously gone on to become one of the great nations of Europe and the world. And so that's a huge moment in uh, German history. And also, uh, that was kind of when sponsorship first came into football because there was a young man called uh, Addy Dassler, who, of course, uh, was the founder of Adidas, and he sponsored this German team. He gave them tracksuits and he gave them boots, and he also gave them boots that had interchangeable studs which had never been heard of at that point. And the final inburn was actually played in heavy rain and the Germans were able to use longer studs. So there was... And also they had a kind of a defensive system under their coach, Sepp Herberger, that uh, was much more organised than football defences had been in the past. So, you know, this kind of... Uh, a decade after the Second World War, the game really changed in that tournament with the the emergence of that West German side. And so important in German history that they West Germany at the time, that they they did walk with their shoulders a little bit more straightened after that instead of being hunched for the last decade. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it was a t- it was a moment where German people could pro- finally feel a little bit proud about something. Yeah. Um after a long time of being ashamed of what happened. And also, of course, Germany hosted the tournament in 2006. Uh, which was a magnificent occasion. Um, you know, so football heals. Football helps to heal things like this. That's where, you know, where I was saying before, this is one of the really good things about uh, the, where the World Cup um, actually produces really positive things. Were there any conspiracy theories how a team of such strength of Hungary, they were amazing, Pushkash, that player, um, it... How did they beat West Germany? With a conspiracy theory? They were paid off? A bent ref? What happened? No, I've never heard anything along those lines, Graham. You normally do, don't you, especially mm. with the World Cup. But I just think they were beaten by uh, a better team on the day. As I say, uh, the heavy rain helped the Germans because, in fact, they called it the Fritz Walter weather because Fritz Walter was the German captain and he was very good player in heavy conditions and with the uh, you know the help of 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 adidas um it was just something that happened and the hungarians for once had no answer it's a real shame because to me uh, two of the greatest football teams of all time are that hungarian team of the 50s and also the brazilian team that went to spain in 1982 mm. um, and neither of those of course got their names on the trophy which is was quite sad because you always want the best teams to at one point have their name on the trophy but you've got to give credit to the germans for the way they fronted up yeah and the italians in 82 so there you go um all right um, I'm going to be giving away a copy of the World Cup Baby. Uh, if you want a copy, give me a bell now. 0800 844 747. 0800 844 747. It's a cracking read. Um, and just one thing very briefly. 
I'll just play this. Uh, yeah, here we go. It's often thought, yeah, it's so often said, oh, England. They win the World Cup. Oh, they won it in 1966 and never been able to do it again. Well, at least they won it in 1966. That's not bad. Um, so, you know, it's quite a damn achievement. Okay, all right. You um, and McCabe, thank you very, very much, and we'll talk again next week. There's so much going to be happening this week. <laughs> no problem. Thank you, Graham. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. Congratulations, Jeff McKenzie. World Cup babies coming your way. I really hope you enjoy it. It's a beautiful read. And more from you and McCabe next week. Enjoy the World Cup for more reasons just in sport. And I hope you enjoy you and McCabe. Um, even if you're not a sporty person at all. In the next hour, addiction. How addiction affects every one of us and what we can do about it. It's a fascinating read. We speak with the author, Matt Knopfs. John Dibvig after news sport and weather, though. It's 10 o'clock. Very good evening.